The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 462, for Wednesday, August 21st, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, cool stuff found, and just about anything, and, uh... I'm not sure what we do with just about anything, but we'd figure it out. But in the meanwhile, we'll answer your questions. We'll share your tips. We'll share some cool stuff found that we've all found and uh, have some fun in the process, making sure we learn at least four things each time we get together here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John of Braun. How you doing, John, on this Wednesday afternoon? Staying, staying cool. That's good. Yeah, the weather's been perfect here in New England. Man, it's like we get this every year, this this stretch in August where it's like happy and sunny and I like it. It's good. We just got back from the lake. Hence the uh hence the Wednesday show. But that's a good thing. So here we are. Right? Last I checked. All right, good. Uh do you need to get some caffeine or anything, Mr. Braun? Now I have my uh, beverages uh, here. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, You know, I'm going to start out talking about our first sponsor for this show. Uh, There are two sponsors for this show. Actually, Warby Parker is one of them. We'll talk about them a little later. And Bare Bones is the other. And Bare Bones we're going to talk about right now because uh, Bare Bones recently, last week, I believe, was the official day, uh, released Yojimbo 4. And uh, this has been a long time coming, as anyone who has followed the Yojimbo saga uh, would know. There was uh, there was a whole big to do about uh, how to get syncing to work. Now, once mobile me syncing went away and uh, it took bare bones on quite an interesting path. But they've solved the problem uh, by going with a third party sync engine, actually called wasabi sync and it is built in to yojimbo 4 and it works i have been testing this probably for about the last three months and uh and it works and i'm i believe i'm the one that that causes all the problems with my data so if my data works i think it's pretty safe to say your data is going to work uh with the syncing but it is it's core data syncing that they've built into to yojimbo 4 using a third-party engine that is more reliable than iCloud in that it works Uh, And not so much can be said about the former. But uh, in addition to uh, adding sync support, which means you can sync your Yojimbo data from uh, one Mac to the other, this uh, Yojimbo 4 also adds full screen support. Totally handy on your MacBook Air or smaller screen devices or even your larger screen devices, but certainly for your smaller screen devices and retina support. So you've got uh, syncing for multiple Macs full screen support and retina support all in Yojimbo 4. But Dave, you ask, what does Yojimbo do for me? Yojimbo keeps track of information that you don't want to have to remember all the time. And it keeps it everywhere. So how does this work? Well, you start up Yojimbo and you just start putting data in. You can put in little snippets of data. You can categorize them into folders of categories, but, uh, and tags, Uh, And things can have multiple tags. Things can be in multiple uh, collections so that you've got 
uh, you know, you, you might I might have something for Mac Geek Gab that also relates to the Mac Observer or also relates to maybe I've got a technical uh, tidbit that I want to share on the show. But I also want to save it in my tech info collection because, hey, I'm going to use that for myself down the road. A lot of the stuff, most of the stuff we talk about in the show here is stuff we use in, in our regular computing lives. And so I can I can store things in both of those. You can search uh, throughout Yojimbo. And uh, you can store text, you can store audio, you can store pictures, you can store videos, you can encrypt individual items. If you have like I, I store uh, a lot of my bank account data in Yojimbo and it's in an encrypted uh, item. So when uh, I'm not looking at it, if somebody else comes up to my computer and clicks it, they can't see it. Uh, so it really, really handy stuff. And it's a utility that I honestly could not live without. And I'm so happy to have syncing back in my life. So check it out. Yo, Jimbo four from uh, bare bones, and you can check it out at barebones.com. You can even get a, uh, a free trial. So, uh, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yo, Jimbo four barebones.com. Uh, with that, John, I think it's time to go into the first question of our show here. And that's Mr. Terry. I'm assuming it's Mr. Terry. I'm, uh, I believe so. Uh, my apologies if I've got your gender wrong. Uh, Terry writes, uh, I, re- I have a late 2008 15-inch MacBook Pro. I've upgraded the RAM to its maximum 8 gigs. I bought it with Snow Leopard, Skipped Lion, and upgraded to Mountain Lion. Being 5 years old and never had its hard drive nuked and paved, I wondered if it would be advisable to do this as I upgrade to Mavericks this fall, I'm noticing the spinning beach ball much more than usual when it is pl- when it is unplugged and I open the lid from sleep. I have to press the power button for it to wake up. It wakes up fine when it's plugged in. I've also heard it suggested that it can that I take an image of my hard drive in its current state before I reformat it. As I'm not satisfied with the current state of my hard drive, what is the purpose of having this image? And should I do this just in case? Okay, so let's answer the questions in reverse order, John. I think the advice that Terry's getting for creating an image or a clone of the drive is is sort of general backup uh, uh, wisdom, right? The, you can never have too many backups, uh, school of thought, of which I am a, uh, a founding member, I like to think, because it, you just need to have backups. So... Uh, The question is, would you ever want any of the data that's on that drive before you wipe it out? Does it exist anywhere else? Is it important to you? And uh, and also, if the process of, uh, you know, John, if if the process of of upgrading takes a left turn and and starts, you know, heading you down a path where you've got to spend more time than you expected to get yourself up and running with a clone of your drive, you can boot to the clone at any point. And get some work done and then go back to uh, setting up the, the main hard drive a, as you need. So so I, uh, that, that's that's my feeling on that. I, uh, my guess is that you feel the same way based on what I've known about you. But I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I would say yes. And actually, this is kind of timely, Dave, because we did get into somewhat of a discussion about this on the uh, Twitters with uh, uh, my friend that I think I met through Dan's math, uh, uh, Bonnie. Uh, who actually, uh, and, and I gave her a little advice, which pretty much matches with what you said, is that, uh, so I guess she has a machine where the drive is dying, and so what she did was immediately started to do a, a time machine backup. Okay. And the advice that I toss out there is that, you know, I mean, a time machine backup is is certainly better than nothing, but my preference for a backup, if I had to make one, would be something, well, 
you know, as you said, a clone with something like uh, carbon copy cloners is my favorite. The reason being is that a time machine backup is not bootable, whereas a clone is. Yeah. So to yeah, me, right, it just right. has it has more usefulness. I mean, uh, certainly a time machine backup is better than nothing. But but if I had to choose between one or the other, I would I would do a clone versus a, a time machine backup of something. Yeah. OK, so now is uh, in, in terms of Terry's initial question, uh, should a new can pay be done in this case? I would say yes. And and part of why I say yes is because you asked the question. Uh, I don't mean that in a snarky way. Uh, I mean it in that you are already questioning whether or not your system has so much cruft that that's what's slowing it down. And the only way you're ever going to answer that question is if you start from scratch with a new can pave. Uh, if you don't do that and you still have some slowdowns, you're 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 going to keep wondering, would it have been, you know, better if I had nuked and paved or or is it just that, you know, modern OSs on the older machine aren't running as fast, et cetera, et cetera. You want to have that question answered. So for that reason alone, I think a nuke and pave is a good idea. Uh, but in addition to that, yeah, I think a nuke and pave is a good idea regardless uh, in, in your situation. It's really not as painful as it feels like it's going to be. I've been through it quite a few times now and I don't, I, I don't fear it. I don't, um, I, I don't hesitate to do it as nearly as much as I used to. Cause it's just not that big of a deal with, with all my data synced to things like, you know, Dropbox, sugar sync, transporter, cloud station, that sort of thing. Bringing your data back is really easy with your email synced to an IMAP server of your choice, be it iCloud or, or, uh, you know, Google or whatever, that's easy to bring back. So, you know, you're getting all your data back and, and that sort of thing just isn't that hard. And you probably don't use so many apps that it's going to take you more than, you know, an hour or two to reinstall all the stuff that you're going to need. So, yeah, I would do it. I might do it anyway uh, here, even though Mountain Lion is fresh on several of my machines. Yeah, but you pick up a good point is that the only downside is the, you know, of course, a nuke and pave is starting off fresh and you will not come away from a nuke and pave with any of your apps or your data. But as you pointed out, if you have them backed up via any other means, um, and I think that the probably the the most difficult part is the apps is, you know, should, should you should you reinstall them? I yeah, mean, that that'll take some time or but not that maybe... much time. Right. I mean, how many apps? It, like I said, it's, you sure. know, an hour, maybe two if you've got a ton of apps. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, in the uh, now you could you may want to consider using. Uh, give me your thought on this. Uh, this yep. uh, but, but you may want to consider using the migration assistant to bring the apps over. Or would you disagree with that? No, that's that's a a. Um, that that's a, a worthy consideration mm -hmm. uh, because we, and I and and just to explain what I think you're suggesting is make a clone of the drive, then wipe your boot drive clean, install in this case Mavericks uh, when it comes out, and and then during the installation or post just post installation, it'll ask you, do you have a drive you want to migrate from? And it will migrate your data over. Is that is that what you meant? Starting starting that way and then pulling it over, or were you saying just install yes. on top? Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's okay, um, especially if you aren't sure if you have the installers for some of the apps you might need. That kind of thing. Sure, 
Uh, I'm not convinced it would take any less time, though. Um, mm-hmm. Migration assistance pretty um, pedantic, if you will, with the with the whole copying and and all that. So, eh, yeah, yeah, you know, Brian Monroe in the uh, in the chat room, and I'll say hello to everyone at MacGeekup.com/stream. Uh, he suggests or reminds us that settings are also lost when you nuke and pave, and and of course, doing it this way. Uh, doing it the way you, you suggested, John, would bring some of that uh, back over. But that might be exactly what's causing your troubles. So, you know, if you're if you're questioning the stability uh, of your system, the less you migrate over, the more certain you'll be that you didn't migrate over a problem. Right. Good point. You know, that's so. Yeah, and I think when I rebuilt my system, I actually did take the reinstall. Let me just reinstall the apps. I I, well, I think I tried the migration, and because my original system was damaged, it migrated the problem. So yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, you could be migrating problems over. So if if you have the originals, and I guess that's the only thing is you know, hopefully you have them either through the app store or you have the original media if you're still into that sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what Stephen was saying in the, uh, in the chat room was, was yeah. If you've got, uh, if you've got all your apps purchased from the app store, well, then that's really easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good stuff. Uh, okay. We have a quick one from, uh, two shows ago. I said, uh, Alexi, Right. He says in MGG 460, you told us about Erica Sadoon's Airflick. It's a nice tool, but you know what? There is a better one called Beamer at beamer-app.com. He says uh, it's 15 bucks, but it's worth it because the utility just works. You open Beamer, you drag and drop the file and you watch it. Uh, plays AVIs, MKVs, MOVs, MP4s, WMVs, FLVs, newer Mac or old one, doesn't matter. I use it to AirPlay uh, MKVs from my five-year-old MacBook Pro 17-inch to the brand new Apple TV. Now I've got a brand new 15-inch MacBook Pro, and I still use Beamer. So uh, so there you go. Thanks. I, I love to know about multiple options to solve problems because a lot of times we live with one app that solves some edge case problem that we rely on and then maybe the developer moves on in their life and stops developing the app. So this is, it's always good. Multiple stuff. Don't you think John, you don't have an Apple TV yet, right? Nope. Someday, someday. I don't, well, you know, I could get one because I did look Dave and so my tuner, so I have a Sony tuner and it does have an available HDMI port. Mm. So it has three and right now two are used. One is the, uh, TiVo and one is my uh, Blu-ray player. So if, if I wanted to, yes, I could. Though I still see it as kind of redundant for all the other stuff that I already have. I'm with you. I, I felt the same way. I but was I, wrong. I, I in, you know, a, a year ago, I was in, to, in total agreement with you. Um, but I, but I, what is it? 75 bucks through the, uh, when they have refurbs? They're eight, what? 75 85. bucks? Yeah, 85, 85 bucks. bucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. So. Uh, and, and I will point out while we're on this little tangent here that, uh, my television that we have in the living room is uh, probably seven years old now, six years old, seven, uh, plasma screen. And it only has one HDMI port, which is totally non-workable these days. So, uh, I found, uh, several years ago, I found a, uh, a switch at monoprice. That's a remote controllable HDMI switch and it takes HDMI in. This is the coolest part. 
and and you can switch between four uh, HDMI inputs, three on the back, one on the front, and it sends it out HDMI, but it also breaks out the audio and will send the audio down an optical cable or down a uh, an analog two channel cable if you want. So it's very it's very cool. So we'll put that in the show notes too. Really? It was like it was like forty bucks. Yeah, it's totally awesome. Well, no, I'm, what I'm saying is that it tells you your architecture is different because I have a. HDTV as well, and I only use one of the HDMI ports. I do the switching on my, my it's a Sony, uh, tu- I'll call it a tuner. Yeah, well, if you, right, you need something to do your HDMI switching, and, and for me, I'm using this this external box. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I am too. Yeah. You're just, right, you're using a one that's baked inside of your receiver type thing, right? Yep. Yeah, I'll call it the receiver, so... Yeah. so I never quite got why you would, but yeah, you could use the TV to do that as well. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. It just depends on what your options are and what your hardware is, how you want to wire it all up. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool. So anyway, I'll put that out. It's like 40 bucks or something to get, uh, to get this switch. The one thing I will say, and you'll see this in all the reviews is the lights on this thing will sear your retinas. (laughs) They are so bright. Uh, I had to put electrical tape over the front of it. Um, two layers. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they came through the first layer. I mean, the electrical tape is thick, black stuff. But no, I needed two layers. I but, had uh, that with an Ego external hard drive. It had a blazingly bright white LED. I mean, it would light up the room because I, I bring it with me on travel. Sure. Yeah, it was like, yeah, guys, you, could you tone it down a bit or make it adjustable? No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I had. Um, I had I posted this to Twitter last night, but I wanted to share it in the show too. Lisa came to me and she needed to buy uh, she needed to buy more frozen uh, rats for or mice. Sorry, frozen mice for one of the snakes that we have. And she's like, God, I'm, I've been searching my email. I can't find the vendor that I ordered these from the last time I did it because a lot of times she'll get them at the local pet store. She's like, This time I want to order them. And, uh, and she's like, I've just been looking and it's hard, you know, finding, you know, you search for like mice and you find all kinds of different stuff or seg- frag- fragments of words. She says, I just can't remember the vendor name. And so I told her, I said, look for the word mice and then put our street name in and search for that. And immediately it was like, oh, yep, there it is. Perfect. So uh, so I figured I'd share that little tip that, uh, you know, your street name is probably um, if your street name is unique. Um, you know, that's probably a good way to narrow things down in your, uh, in your email searching, if you're looking for something like that. So I thought I would, thought I would share, John. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I actually do the same thing. So on my, uh, my email, I have a folder called receipts, which is yeah. any, any sort of financial transaction I have. I, I put the stuff in there and then, yeah, intelligently searching. I can, well, yeah, right. Past. Right. Right. That's good. All right. Good so one. Scott has, well, Scott has two questions. The second one is, is far more relevant to, to what we talk about here and, uh, and leads into, well, hopefully a good discussion, John. Let's see what happens. Hello, John and Dave. This is Scott in DC. Um, John, let me, uh, John, Dave, excuse me. Let me ask you a question. In the old days, uh, when the people used to go around, uh, following the Grateful Dead, they used to call them deadheads. Do they call the people who go around uh, to fish contact constantly, do they call them fishheads? Okay. Insert your own uh, uh, rim shot here. You are a drummer. Okay. Now for my other 
my other gripe. Everybody wants instantaneous gratification. Instantaneous gratification means everybody's running out and getting an SSD. Why? Other than boot, what are you guys doing that, that you need the fast to disk dis, uh, access to? All right, remember, the operating system, the Unix underneath, is doing its own caching and memory, and it will get there. The disks are doing its own journaling, and the controllers handle the journaling. So what are you doing that you need high performance? Are you pushing megabytes, gigabytes of data at any given time? Are, are your systems, are you maxing out your memory and thrashing to all get out that you need the extra disk speed and disk space? Dave, I can understand you needing uh, the extra disk speed as a podcaster and wanting to save that data quickly and not having the data be part of the, you know, part of the backup of your system. But really, unless you're pushing tons and tons of data quickly, what good is an SSD going to give most people? I mean, you know, granted, I am as geeky as, as everybody else, but you want to know something? The best upgrade that I ever made to a machine was adding more memory. I have a late 2009 uh, iMac, 27 inches. I beat the living daylights out of this machine, more so than the average person, because I write, I do a little this here and there, I have all sorts of, of programs open. The only thing I find is memory, and the place I have the memory problems is Safari. So I close Safari, and I could still have 20 other apps open, and it's all because of memory issues. Once Safari is closed, Safari being a memory hog, all that goes away. So unless you're, you're really into instant gratification, unless you're really into, you, you have really big case of ADD and you can't wait the extra 250 milliseconds for something to come up, or you can't wait the extra three seconds for your machine to boot, then you need an SSD. Until then, don't worry about it. If you're on a machine older than four or five years old, don't even bother with it. In fact, I would say if you if you didn't if your machine didn't come with it, and, and you're three or four or older, don't worry about it. Go on, get yourself a bigger drive. You probably are generating enough data. You probably have enough pictures. You probably have enough iTunes to to have to worry about it. But what is your machine doing? Go get yourself to something like iStat Menus and figure out where your performance issues are. Watch what goes on. If it's not your disk, go for memory. Okay. Uh, this is good because it encapsulates a very common uh, perspective. And, and Scott is not wrong, but he's also not looking at it the right way at all, in my opinion. So what I'll say here, and I, and I know you, you probably John may tend to side with, with Scott's more. uh, No, I'm going to deviate because I know where you're going to go with this. uh, My thinking has changed. um, Okay. Well, let me especially in the way I've addressed this question, because I see the way I see the lens that he's looking at, which is the throughput lens. But I think you're, you're going to fine tune the aspect of performance. I'm going to throw throughput out the window 
it is so rare that I, you know, in my daily life and I'm a geek, right? So, you know, I'll put the, the, you know, air quotes up the normal user and there are no normal users. We all use our computers in our own unique ways, but I would say most people don't max out the throughput of their drives ever or rarely. The only time I do is when I'm copying files from one drive to another. I don't do, you know, even, even music recording. I'm not, Burnt, you know, I'm not using tons and tons of, I'm not pushing tons and tons of data. So for me, it, it has to do with launch. You know, it, it's, it's the, it's the, it's about the experience, right? So if you start looking at raw numbers and you pull up, you know, your black magic and you start checking the, uh, the throughput of the drive, you've missed the point, right? You're, you're spending your time, uh, benchmarking this thing as opposed to just using it. And and that's why I say it is the single biggest upgrade I've ever done because it's not just replacing your hard drive. In fact, in most cases, you're talking about shrinking your hard drive to do this quote unquote mm -hmm. upgrade. But because of the experience you get with it, it's so much better. Um, launching apps is way faster. You know, I click on an app and it's right there. And what that means is I can quit apps and I don't hesitate to quit things because I know that it, I can relaunch them really, really quickly. So I'm not doing this old school kind of management of thinking about my RAM anymore. I, you know, I've got 12 gigs of RAM on my uh, iMac in the office, but I've only got four on my MacBook Air. And, and four is not enough for me on my Air. I am constantly running into swap, but it doesn't matter. I don't even notice it. Because the SSD is right there, and and that's that's a huge part of it. Um, it it, um, it it's all about you know what we call seek times, right? With the amount of time it takes to get to start reading the data, and with an SSD that time is almost zero, uh, and with a mechanical hard drive that time can be you know, a huge amount of time. And so if you've got lots and lots of little bits of data, which is exactly what we all have, even an application when you launch it is lots and lots of little bits of data. I mean, you've looked inside those application packages, there's stuff everywhere. And so, you know, it's not about reading in my, my mechanical hard drive can read, uh, you know, large chunks of data very, very efficiently. And, and that's, that doesn't matter to me. It's lots and lots of little chunks of data, and that's where the SSD totally rules. And the OS is tuned now for an SSD. It doesn't mean it's not tuned for a mechanical drive, but they are you know, moving forward and tuning these things. Apple has basically standardized their machines on SSDs, not, not only Macs, but iPhones and you know, iPads. So, so I'm curious. That, 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 that's, so I, I think Scott's missing the point. By looking at it through this, you know, benchmark lens. And to, well, not to necessarily. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to help fine tune this. And, and then I think, and, and I'd encourage Scott to look at the numbers here. So the thing is, I would agree that looking at a benchmark of computer performance by transfer, uh, via transferring lots of large files and achieving maximum bandwidth is not the correct way to characterize system performance. Right. Because, well, you, unless you that's what you that, do. But yeah, that's right. Well, yes. So, so, so I see two scenarios. So one, I would say in general usage, any operating system, are you 
reading and writing lots of large files with large block sizes? Or are you reading and writing lots of itty bitty files? Yes. And the thing is, if you do a benchmark, uh, one of my favorite programs to do this, and, and it'll be clear as day if you look at the benchmarks that do this, when you look at the performance of a mechanical drive and look at the performance with tiny block sizes... Um, up up to big block sizes. This is where a mechanical drive uh, is sorely lacking because you will see the performance be very very poor compared to an SSD. Yeah. Or, and you know so so again, the uh, Drive Genius has something called um, Drive Bench. If you look at uh, and you can see this, so if you benchmark a SSD versus a mechanical drive, you'll see that they do one K blocks, two K, four K. And the performance on a mechanical drive for the small block sizes, which I would argue is what is usually happening at, uh, during normal usage, is very poor compared to an SSD. Whereas the SSD uh, far and away exceeds at handling, well, both, because they're just really fast. Yeah. So um, the, the SSD's ability to quickly deal with uh, transferring of lots of itty bitty files and do it very quickly is what's going to get you um, is is where you're going to see the performance boost and where it's just going to be, uh, you know, m- much faster to use. And I think that's the, the best way to, to characterize it here. Um, there's certainly a class of people that are transferring wampin files and stuff like that. And I would say maybe that's not the best reason to get an SSD. If, if that's, yeah. Uh, well, if you, if that's your case, then you want to raid. And, and if you've got the, right. the box, an SSD raid, right, would be awesome. And they and they have them, you know, and you, have, you connect that up to Thunderbolt and you can you know, beam gobs of data back and forth really fast. But uh, but, yeah, I, I, I really feel like the 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 way to evaluate an SSD is to move your boot drive to one. And you can even do this with an external. It's what I did years ago, and it still made a difference, you know, even though I was only on a but you know 30 megabyte a second USB bus or something. But just that experience of of. You'll find yourself using the computer differently because you're no longer hesitating, thinking, oh, that process is going to take a long period of time. You know, like I said, quitting apps, that sort of thing. And and not for nothing, but on a on a laptop and even on my desktops, not hearing the hard drive crunching is not a bad thing. It You know, the, the silence that comes with an SSD is not to be for, you know, uh, not to be dismissed here. So, yeah. Yeah. I And, you know, Scott's Scott encapsulated the arguments that, that I've heard a lot. And that's why I thought it would be good to kind of put this in here. But, yeah, you're right, John. The benchmarks are there. But I, I think you've got to experience it because you're not going to, you know, when you copy files, big honking files from one drive to another, you can sit there and look at the amount of time it's taking, right? And then and then you can compare that with benchmarks and say, ooh, if I use that drive, it's going to be faster. But looking at the benchmarks for small files, unless you're really hyper aware, and actually I know Scott is, of what your computer's doing, you may not see it in the benchmarks. You really just want to touch it and feel it and experience it. And, and yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So Now he is right that certain things, like for example, last I checked, um, kernel extensions are cached into one big honking yep. uh, file. So, so that's not going to be where you're going to see the, the big performance, but it's just in the day-to-day operation of the operating system where it's doing all this stuff behind the scenes, typically with relatively small files where you're going to really experience the benefit. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. I like it. 
So uh, I, I did mention, John, that uh, our second sponsor was uh, was Warby Parker. And indeed it is. And, and you know, I will say again, uh, this is the second spot we're doing uh, for them here. Uh, Warby Parker makes glasses, eyeglasses. And when I first when the sponsorship was first brought to me, I thought, what are we talking about here? But once I learned about this company, it totally made sense. <laughs> and uh, it's it. They, they have this awesome model. You know, not only are their glasses uh, very reasonably priced compared to, you know, the monopolistic conglomerate glasses that you'd get for like, you know, Ray-Bans and Oakley's and all that other stuff. But um, but they have this awesome model. You you go online and the first thing you do and John and I, we, we both did this and we both currently have our glasses from them. Uh, you, you go online and, and you start hunting and you start saying, oh, I like this. I like that. And then you can upload a picture of yourself and start kind of trying the frames on your picture. Now, that that's just an approximation, but it gives you an idea of, OK, yeah, I think I might like that. Narrow it down to five and they will ship you those frames for free for you to test. And once you receive them, you get to hold them for five days and then you have to send them back. So as opposed to trying on frames in the, you know, fluorescent lit uh office of you know your eye doctor or whatever uh for 10 minutes with the staff there saying oh yeah that looks great um you get to try these on at home and you get to see them in your mirror and you get to you know test them out and show them to your family and friends and get feedback and then you know you're really making a decision if you don't like any of the five that you selected you just send them all back uh you're going to send them all back anyway because they don't have your prescription in them uh and then off you go and uh and then you could get more if you wanted uh, and so you find the one that you like and then you place your order. And when you place your order, you want to use a coupon code that we have called MGG ship S H I P because it gets you free expedited shipping. So that's and it also tells Warby Parker that your order came uh, from us uh, or, you know, referred by us. And, and that's a good thing, too, because it lets them know that their advertising is working. But uh, it, it, and, you know, this company, they get it. So, John, I, I we, you and I went through the process. You send in your prescription. And uh, we, we went, we got our glasses and, and everything worked well yesterday morning, you know, I was up at the lake and uh, yesterday morning before we left, I was, uh, I did one last wakeboard ride. I caught some great air um, and I put my sunglasses, I got prescription sunglasses and what a treat it is to have prescription sunglasses. My prescription is not strong enough that I have to wear prescription glasses. So most of the, for all my life, my sunglasses have just been normal sunglasses, but at Warby Parker's prices, it's not so bad to have prescription sunglasses. And uh, it's been so nice, especially up at the lake with, you know, the mountains and everything. I can see everything. Uh, so it was, it was really nice. But I, obviously on the wakeboard, I, I didn't wear my sunglasses. So I put them down in this little tray in the, in the boat where I always put them. And I was made sure, you know, to protect the lens. But I didn't put them in their case. And, uh, and then when I got off, you know, I took off my life jacket and all that other stuff. And I went to pick up my glasses and I nudged them over and they fell onto the face and there must have been some sand or something there. So they scratched and I was like, oh, man. So I called him today on the way back from a, a quick doctor's appointment I had uh, just before the show, John. I called Warby Parker from the car and the entire phone call. This is important. The entire phone call from like dial to hang up. I'm happy was two minutes. And that's because before the second ring. A human answered, uh, and I believe this human was in New York, uh, but a human answered 
And it was someone at Warby Parker's offices. It's not some, you know, outsourced deal. And she totally, uh, I told her what I did. And she said, okay, well, let me look up your order. I gave her my email address. She found my order. She said, oh, well, you're within your year. We will send you a UPS label. You send your glasses back to us. We will replace the lens and, uh, and send it back to you. No charge for shipping, no charge for anything. Here you go. Thank you very much for your business. Two minutes. Good to go. That's wow. customer service. I know. Yeah, these people, they just, they get it. So uh, it's cool. It's, I, I, I couldn't be happier with the whole experience. It's good stuff. You, you, you have your glasses still, right? Your, your, you got yeah. prescription sunglasses as well. No, I loved it. I did the same thing you did. I got the five pairs. I actually, uh, you know, once I got them, I think they, they give you, uh, what, five days. Um, I actually went to a family event and, uh, whenever I get glasses, I typically get feedback from, from my family as to how they look. So I, you know, sure. brought it over. I told them about it. They were like, really? Oh, wow. That's kind of cool that, you know, you do that all by mail and yeah. UPS and, and all that. And, uh, you know, I took out the, the five different lens frames and tried them on and got votes from, you know, the people that <laughs> were at this gathering and, uh, made the decision, uh, packed them up, actually tossed them in a nearby UPS box, which was, you know, cool as well is, you know, just toss it in the mail and, you know, they, when they got them, they got them. Yep. And, uh, but no, that was great. It's a, yeah, it's I couldn't be happier stuff. with the process. It's, it's, it's almost like, dare I say Netflix for glasses. There you go. Yeah. It's <laughs> in right. And that, that they, in that they bet they use the, the mail or the package system to, uh, you know, make it as convenient as possible. Uh, yeah, I would say it even enhances the experience. So check it out. WarbyParker.com, M-G-G-S-H-I-P, M-G-G ship gets you free expedited shipping. So uh, so there you go. Uh, Derek listened to show 460, John, and says, following the question from the chap on 460, uh, wanting to regain space on his iPhone. That might have been 461. Uh, I would recommend an app called Phone Clean, and it's at imobi.com, I-M-O-B-I-E.com, uh, which scans and clears out unwanted files and caches. I downloaded this because I don't like to recommend this kind of stuff without testing it out, and it really does it. You know, John, we were talking about the other space on the uh, iPhone that you can't clean out any other way, this cleans it out. But it shows you, it does a scan of your phone first and, uh, or your iPad, you know, whatever. And then it, it, it shows you like four different categories of what it could delete, but it lets you dig in and shows you which apps all these files are related to. So you can say, well, wait a minute, I don't want you to wipe out the things from the, you know, audible app because I want those books or whatever. And, uh, Ooh. yeah, well, that's what we've been looking for because, I you know, know, that was my, fr that was my frustration is that so iTunes, when you hover over any of the other categories, it gives you some level of detail, like, oh, you have a hundred photos or uh, you, you have a thousand songs here, but other, it's just like, well, it's this big. That's it. <laughs> and it's like a head scratcher. It's like, well, but what's in there? Yeah. So that's and, awesome. And it's it, free it, phone clean. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, but, uh, well, it's, it, you know, I'll take it. It's good. So, uh, so yeah. So thank you, Derek. This, this was one, I just, I think he sent it in this morning, but, um, yeah, you know, you can't beat it. It's fantastic. So good stuff. You got to check it out, John. It'll make you happy. It'll make you delete stuff. Yeah. One, one thing I, one thing I will point out, I deleted some stuff from like one of my Twitter clients. I, I just said, yeah, go wipe that out. I don't care about, you know, that stuff. And it was running in the background. And so then I launched it. 
and like pictures and stuff were missing and wouldn't load. As soon as I force quit the app or really the best thing would be, you know, do your wipeout and then reboot your iPhone so that apps get a chance to relaunch without this data that they just had, you know, moments ago. Once I relaunched the app without, you know, then it rebuilt itself and pulled down the data it needed and it was totally fine. So uh, so, you know, it, 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 it will potentially cause some minor weirdness. Uh, if you don't just reboot your phone after you uh, after you you know wipe out this data because it's not data it's you're not wiping it out in a way that the phone is expecting you're kind of going under the covers uh, which makes sense. So, yeah, I think I'm good for now. I'm actually looking at my phone right now, so you know, I'm connecting via Wi-Fi. Yeah, Gee, isn't that cool? Yeah, but my other category right now has nine hundred six point seven megabytes. Okay, that's a normal. So I'm pretty amount. cool. Yeah, and I have um, based on what I do, and I have right now three point six gigs free. So I have the you know basic sixteen gig iPhone four. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm in pretty good shape. I, I did do a that's photo good. purge the other day because I, I had never taken my photos off. Oh, yeah. I must have had like a thousand photos. And at one point, I'm like, do I really need them all on the phone? Right. You know, they, they, they right. add up. So I basically pulled them all off of the phone and, you know, imported them into Aperture and, uh, and then started again. So. Cool. All right. You want to uh, you want to take Kurt's question, John? Yeah, th- th- this was fortunate that, that I keep my old toys here. So, right. yeah, no, that, it's, sometimes it's a good thing. I know sometimes it's not. So, dear John and Dave, I get the below disk not properly ejected message whenever my MacBook Pro sleeps and my Garmin 810 cycling GPS is mounted, mounted as in an external volume. By USB. Mostly this is a nuisance, but I have had to reflash the Garmin once as it became corrupted. None of my other USB connected HDs and thumb drives have this problem. They stay mounted when the laptop is brought back from sleep. The Garmin is connected directly to the computer, not through a hub. I changed the energy saver settings, unchecking put hard drives to sleep whenever possible, but did this not help? Any, but this did not help. Any ideas? Thanks. And yes, so I'm like, Boy, I wish I had a Garmin device that I could test this against. And you know what, Dave? I do. That's <laughs> so awesome. I wrote, so I wrote back to Kurt. So I have a Garmin Nuvi 360 GPS. Uh, of course, uh, uh, iPhone and Waze has replaced it uh, for me, but I still have it. The, the reason I stopped using it was they, they basically wanted to extort me for 100 bucks to update the map on it. And I'm like, or like yeah, it was like 100 bucks or something. And I'm like, what are you, nuts for just the map? Right. <laughs> I'm like, forget <laughs> it. So I basically stopped using it. And it's like the iPhone does, uh, you know, as good, if not a better job. So, so that was really a deal breaker. Uh, you know, I wish they would have thought about that more. Um, so anyways, I ha- since I had that device, I used it to test this. Because as far as I can see, most of the Garmin devices that have a USB port, if you plug them in, and, and this is no exception, it'll mount as, as a USB drive. And you can put data on it and pull data off. I think you can load custom icons. Um, and I ran into the exact same problem, Dave. So first I did an initial test is I took one of my USB drives just for kick, one of my USB external USB drives that has, you know, a little blue light on it and all that. And I plugged it in to my computer, slept my computer. And the thing is, the blue light on the drive stayed on. And I'm like, okay, well, that that's probably what should be happening is the power should still be provided to the device, even if the machine is is asleep. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, let me take the Garmin device and, and try the same thing. So I plugged in the Garmin. Eventually, it mounted on my desktop as something called Nuvi. And then I put my machine. And, and, but what also happens is that it shows on its screen 
a little computer and a little PC kind of indicating to you, oh, I, I know I'm connected to a computer via USB. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Then I put my MacBook Pro to sleep. And all of a sudden, the state of the GPS changed. It no longer thought it was connected to a computer. So basically, I don't know why they did it this way, but basically it, it basically dismounted itself. It basically said, I'm no longer connected to anybody. Sorry. And when I woke my machine up, I got the exact same error message that he did. So my conclusion is that this is a fault. And I'll say it's a fault. Sure. Uh, you know, if you're going to pretend to be a USB drive and be something that's going to be mounted by a USB and available as a drive, then you don't disconnect when the machine goes to sleep. And obviously, you know, all the other devices he has uh, or that we all, all have that, that are drives act properly. So that's my conclusion. And I actually wrote back and said, um, you know, I actually have seen this on some other hard drives, Dave. I think some WD drives had a little hiccup with this. And typically a firmware update can correct the incorrect behavior. But the only thing I said to him is you know, the, uh, the only thing I can recommend is that, you know, you either manually dismount it or you write some sort of maybe Apple script or automated script before going to sleep so that you don't corrupt the data because that is a possibility and it happened to him. And, uh, and actually he did get back to me saying that he does have some scripting tools and it turns out that's probably what he's going to have to do is, you know, either manually dismount it or, or again, write some script or I think he mentioned, uh, I forget which utility, but there are utilities that can do this where you can dismount drives before the machine goes to sleep. So shame on you, Garmin. <laughs> Anybody, <laughs> Carmen, listening to us, explain yourselves. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a, I would, I would say faulty firmware or, or, you know, improperly written. There's a, there's a, uh, it, it's uh what's, what's the right way to say it? It's, it's yeah, it's improperly written, it's not robust. Enough. I wouldn't say it's garbage, but no, no. But I would say, it, yeah, it's it it lacks the robustness to protect itself. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, John, you've been playing with extending your airport network, and uh, and Michael has had some questions that I think we all kind of wanted to know the answer to. So a little follow up from the last show. Um, you, you did some speed testing with uh, with your airport network extension and and found some interesting things out well i found that out but his question so so let me address his question yeah here. go ahead so, uh, yeah, so, yeah so michael's initial question and i think he's he's in the chat room hi hi michael <laughs> so the question was i have an airport express first generation and i'm trying to extend an existing wireless network if it just joins the network it's fine but if i try to extend it it thinks about it for a while and then gives up I know almost nothing about the existing network except that I'm 86% sure. <laughs> or is that 86% uncertain? <laughs> you get that? Okay. No I do. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> sure, it's not an airport. Is this even possible? And if so, how do I do it? All right. And so I wrote back to him and I said, um, so I did some digging and I think the consensus is that the extending a network feature with the current crop of airport devices, including the time capsule, is reserved for Apple hardware only. And then I pointed him to a Apple discussion that pretty much verified this. Yep. And that people are not able to get the extend feature to work unless they're talking to another piece of Apple equipment. And then I speculated and I kind of got it from the article here, but... Um, Apple very carefully words their article where they talk about extending. And so there's a support article that talks about this, but specifically the way they define a Wi-Fi base station in the context of extending it is any variety of airport extreme base station, airport express or time capsule. 
Okay. Yep. So, little legalese here, maybe, you know, careful wording. Um, For good measure, though, I do have, Dave, I still, even though I don't use it regularly because it's kind of a piece of garbage, but uh, in my opinion, but uh, I do have a Monoprice 802.11n device, and I I tried to extend it, and it it, it didn't work. So Okay, okay. That Um, makes sense. No, and... Yeah, yeah, I think I think to to extend a uh a wireless network normally the WDS protocol was kind of the 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 thing to use, right? Which which is no longer supported in the current builds right. of airport utility to my knowledge. So Right. That was something in the older 802G devices, I That's think, right. and or the uh but let me add to this, because this actually made me very happy. So then I'm like, boy, you know, I wish I could get an answer from Apple on this. And then I'm like, you know, I think I can, Dave. How did I get the answer, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you. So um, as you probably know, Dave, and if you don't, then this is a, a little tangent, but I think an extremely useful tangent. So if you go to supportprofile.apple.com, this is like the control center for cataloging all of your Apple goodies. But it not only lets you catalog and register your Apple goodies, it lets you see, are they under warranty? Can I get support? And all sorts of other things. Now, initially, I was kind of upset because I took my device, which I'd recently got, and I went to this page and I typed in the serial number and it said, well, your device is already registered. And I'm like, what? Because it's a refurb. I'm like, those dirty rats, they didn't. uh, No, you know what happened? When I ordered it, Dave. (laughs) They automatically registered it on the site because I ordered it through the Apple store and used my Apple ID, which is the same ID that I used to register the support thing. So, dude, that's just brilliant. And then I clicked on it. And one of the options was, um, well, you get 90 days of uh, I believe it's 90 days of complimentary support. And would you like Apple to call you? And I'm like, yes. So I Ah. clicked on the button told Apple to call me. My phone rang like 10 seconds later, which is freaky. And then it's like, please hold for an Apple representative. And I spoke to an Apple representative and I basically asked them a question. I'm like, uh, you know, the extend feature, um, what level of support do you offer for non-Apple devices? And he's like, it may work, but we don't support it. I'm like, okay. Uh, Yeah, okay. So it could be if if you're talking to a device that uses maybe the same chipset Apple is using or the firmware is similar, it may work. But Apple does not support extending non-Apple devices. And so that's, uh, that's the answer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, but then you did, you know, we had, we had a question in the last show about this whole wireless extension thing. What is it doing? How is it, you know, how, how efficient is it? You were able to get your internet speed test to basically report, you know, similar numbers for your, um, uh, for your, when, when your computer was connected to either the, the main router, your time capsule or the extension, and the, the airport express, but you then dug in and used a utility called iPerf, which just tests raw network connectivity locally. And you found not quite the same answer. Right. And I think you touched on it. You speculated in the last thing, because I was using my internet throughput as a benchmark that what I was seeing was, was not reality well it was it was relevant for someone who if you're going to use internet throughput as your benchmark for whether this is you know a good thing to do or not yeah um and you speculated that yeah you were i was probably getting the speeds the thing is i was not testing my 
local network throughput. Right. And that I should probably do that to get a, a more realistic yeah, the, bo- the of- bottleneck for you is your Internet speed. Not that your Internet speed is slow, but it's slower than your network at home could theoretically go. So because we got a report from somebody that said when they did an extension, they saw their Internet throughput halved. And I'm like, well, when I tried this, I didn't see it. Right. And basically, here were the results of my iPerf test. So I did have iPerf already installed. I, I didn't bother with JPerf. OK, good. But I did have yeah. iPerf installed. So basically, I did two tests, Dave. So I did one test where I connected my MacBook Pro directly to my time capsule, which is an 802.n uh, first generation. Directly wireless. Correct. Okay. Directly wireless. 802.n 2.4 gigahertz is actually what I have this thing locked to right now. Um, Because it's a single radio. So so I I only have one choice. Right. This is a single radio, 802.n 2.4 gigahertz. And when I did an iPerf test, um, it basically reported 72.5 megabits per second throughput. Okay. Which, Okay. That's, you know, below the theoretical maximum, but then you're never going to see the maximum, you know, 802N, which I think the, the connection speed was advertised as 140. Oh, because so. you only have one radio. Well, and, in, you in know, your the MacBook channel Pro. width. Right. And the, cha- well, well, also the channel width, I think, is another factor in that I have a relatively dated well, that, time that, capsule. That's here. what I mean is you've only got, yeah, you only have one antenna. You're not doing multiple beams, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, per, you get 150 per antenna maximum theoretical with 802.11n. So in theory, right, right, right. you could get up to 450 and the IMAX will do that, um, et cetera. So, yeah. Right. So when I then force the connection again at 2.4 to the uh, extension, then I perf reported, oh, 21.5 megabits per second. Oh my, well, that's quite a bit less than 72.5, but it's still within the range where if I was just gauging my internet throughput, it, it wouldn't really impact me. But then I went to another part of the house and did the same thing through the extension and I got about 5.3 megabits per second. So okay. I'm going to revise what I said before. So before I, I thought that the uh, extension mechanism would not necessarily degrade your throughput, it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I well, think the conclusion is in all cases, but in some cases, if you're just concerned about surfing the Internet and not your local network performance, then it still may be not a terrible choice for extending yep. your network versus wired. Yep. I think I, I'll, I'll stick by that. Oh, no, that totally <laughs> makes. No, I agree. And and if you it, the only thing where it would start to matter is if you need to do, you know, local backups or file transfers or things like that, where you know, you're going to you're going to run into some of it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to create its own wireless interference because it has to. It it, there, it has no other way of 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 making that happen. So, yeah, there you go. So, you know, Powerline still has its uh, its benefits. But uh, but it's good that Apple's, you know, making this stuff work as well as could be possibly expected. So it's good. All right, John, uh, we got time for a couple more here. So um, Ulysses, let, let's let's do this one, even though uh, it might get into a little bit of terminal geekery that is so difficult. Well, via, well we could tag audio. team on this. Yeah, go ahead. Can I start on this one? Yeah, you go ahead. All right. So Ulysses says the Mac app store has stopped out downloading updates from two applications, full deck solitaire and busy Cal Two. The purchases page has a resume button, which when clicked triggers the error, BusyCal2 failed to download. Use the purchases page to try again. As stated, 
I'm on the purchases page. <laughs> right. <laughs> Any feedback would be appreciated. So I came up with a couple and then I'll hand it to you, Dave. But um, here's a couple of things uh, doing a bit of research that I found may be able to resolve this problem. So one, uh, if you go to the app store and then you go to the store menu, there is a check for unfinished downloads choice. Give that a shot. So that's number one. Number two, also in the app store, if you go to the store menu and then you say view my account, towards the bottom of that screen, you will see a settings reset all warnings for buying and downloading button. You may want to give that a whirl. Yeah. So those were my two tidbits. And then I think you're going to wrap it up here with, with yet another suggestion, Dave, which does definitely get into uh, some pretty geeky stuff well it it does only because that's the easiest way to get here um the Mm -hmm. the my guess is that neither one of those things you suggested is going to help it's worth trying them uh because you want to narrow that down first but my guess is that what uh what ulysses has is a corrupted cache file and uh the app the mac app store like almost all other apps that you have uh stores data that it has downloaded or created in uh, in a temporary location, it's called the cache, and that way it doesn't have to download or, or uh, cre- create that information again if it's stuff that it's going to use over and over again. The problem is if a download got interrupted or something happened, you might have a cache file sitting out there that's that's not a, that's not helping you, and in fact is getting in the way of whatever operation you want to do. And that's this. So he probably has two cache files sitting there for these two apps getting in the way of those same files being created again when the right download starts. So you want to just wipe those out and then things should work again. The trick is getting to the directory itself. Um, it, it, the cache folder for the, uh, for the Mac app store app is not in any of the, uh, what I'll call easy to find locations right uh it's buried in um i'm trying to pull it up here and for some reason the terminal on my mac's being really slow it's buried I think it was like private i've got it it's private var folders xd and then a big long like 25 character random folder name and then a folder called c and then in there, you'll find all this great stuff, but uh, including a folder called com.apple.appstore. And uh, you can just delete that whole folder, com.apple.appstore, and then try this download again, and chances are it'll work. Uh, but if, uh, if you can't get, you know, if you, if you don't know the magic way of getting there, you, uh, you can type uh, Topher Kessler over at CNET, MacFixit. Uh, wrote an article that explains how to do this, but uh, it involves typing a string into the terminal that uh, is open space dollar sign and then all caps TMPDIR dot dot slash C slash. Uh, but it's easier to just go to the article, copy it and paste it in. And uh, and then that will in the finder open up that folder and then you can delete things and, and you're good to go. Uh, so we'll put the link to, to Topher's article in the, in the show notes. We'll also just put this little nugget of text in there and, uh, and that, that will get you to this, you know, magical location that I don't know why it's hidden this way, but it is. So that's how you get there. So, you know, there you go. Cause yeah, from what I recall for other things that we've looked at, Dave, I think there's a folder buried somewhere in library or something called 
caches. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You'd think you could just put it there and be okay. You know, I don't know. Ah, uh, yes. Good stuff. Fun. Uh, yet another cool stuff found. Chris uh, suggested this one and I like it. It's worth going and looking at the picture. Um, it's uh, it's called the plug bug from 12 South and they make a US one and a and an international one just because we have different plugs. You know the uh the the little uh adapter that you get when you get your MacBook Pro or whatever uh you can you can attach that little uh nub onto it that makes it a a, a rectangle and then you just plug it straight into the wall. Well, you replace that little nub uh, with this plug bug, which makes it a wee bit taller and adds a USB port to it. Uh, so you get your MacBook Pro charging and you get a USB device charging with one plug being used. So uh, so that's that's it's 35 bucks. So uh, and free shipping in the US. And then, like I said, they have an international version, too. So. Uh, so check it out. It looks cool. It's red. So, it you know, it's really obvious, which is smart for them, because then people will ask, hey, what is that? Um, and it'll do the whole full charge on an iPad thing. It just, you know, it's got enough power to, to actually charge an iPad. So great for those of us that travel and don't always have as many outlets as we want. This is, you know, yet another solution. So it's good stuff. Thanks, Chris. We, we appreciate that. John, in, uh, in show 457, we'll, 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 we'll revisit this last one real quick here. We, uh, we talked about the Oloclip telephoto lens, and we sort of interchanged the terms zoom and telephoto. Uh, we used them interchangeably when, in fact, they are not interchangeable. And uh, do you want to encapsulate the, the difference between telephoto and zoom so that the emails can stop, please? Yes. Well, Go. telephoto, the, the term that we want to focus on here, which opens this up, is called the focal length of a lens. Okay. So anytime you're using a lens, now there's some lenses that are fixed focal length and some that are variable. And the focal length is, in a nutshell, how far away the focal point is from the image capture device and this is measured in millimeters okay you'll see this if you take a photo and you look and you dig into the data or you if you look at a lens you will see it and uh for example just a quick example here the uh the camera that i'm experimenting with right now has a 25 millimeter to 525 millimeter focal length okay now to put this in context a focal length that is small it's like for example something like 24 millimeter focal length that is something that's considered a wide angle lens. And then okay. there are different classifications here. And as the focal, but, but the, the important part I want to bring out here, Dave, is, well, what, you know, what does that mean to people? 25 millimeter focal length. What does that mean? Focal length is directly related to field of view. Okay. So a 25 millimeter lens is going to have a very wide field of view in that you're going to get a, Nice, you know, if you want to take a picture of a landscape or something like that, ah, then okay. you definitely want a 25 millimeter lens. Got it. Then on the other end of the spectrum, and this is where he pointed this out to us, but again, I'm trying to encapsulate it. Yep. Then you get lenses, and, and you, there are different classifications here, but at the other end of the spectrum, when you have something that has something like 525 millimeter focal length, that's something that has a very small field of view. Okay. And you'll see this in pictures. And yeah, like no, some I've, of the pictures I, I've taken. Yep, 
it makes sense. So which which wh- where does the term telephoto come in? And then what is Zoom? Well, telephoto is directly related to the uh, uh, focal length. Okay. And and so he gave us a definition here. Which Who's, I, I we we haven't mentioned any. E- we mentioned emails in general. There's no. We, we haven't read any emails. So when you say he, no one knows what you're talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. FYI. Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we we got it. Well, we've got several emails about this. But but yeah, go ahead. Just just go. So he gave us some definitions here. So so very quickly. So focal length of 24 to 80, which would be considered, like I said, a wide angle lens. Um. You know, a uh, uh, 70 to 200 millimeter focal length is a moderate telephoto to telephoto. And that's something that's okay. 150 to 500 millimeter focal length is a telephoto okay. lens. Okay. So these terms are just uh, definitions that help us narrow down the range of this focal length. So now that we've got that, what is zoom? Optical zoom is the ratio of the minimum to maximum focal length of the lens. Okay, so, so a zoom example, lens could be, and I'm, 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 maybe this doesn't exist, but, but, but bear with me here because I'm kind of a dum dum when it comes to this stuff. Uh, the uh, a zoom lens could go from wide angle all the way to telephoto. Yes, correct. Or, or a zoom lens could be, you know, some specialized zoom lens that only lives in the telephoto range. In theoretically, right? A, a lens with zoom has to have a range yeah, of focal lengths. But you gave me a range for telephoto being yes. from 150 to you know 500 right. or something. So you could have a lens that only lives in that range, yeah? Correct. Okay. Correct. Now, the thing is, a lens that only has one focal length is called a prime lens. And some people mm-hmm. like these. The only downside of them, for example, like the iPhone, yep. is that you only have, unless you add something like the Oloclip, you only have one focal length. And Makes sense. Sometimes, right. And some people like prime lenses uh, and some people don't because, uh, you know, I, uh, I'd much rather have the flexibility of zooming in and out. Now, what is zoom? What is optical zoom defined as, Dave? Yeah. And it's very simple. Once you understand these terms, it's dividing the maximum focal length by the minimum focal length. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, let's yeah. say, like the camera I was talking about, the the uh, Polaroid that I have, yeah, is a twenty five to five twenty five millimeter focal length. Okay. Well, guess what? If you divide five twenty five by twenty five, you know what you get. Uh, okay, I see. I I get where you're going with this. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get twenty one, and guess what? The optical zoom of this camera is defined as twenty one. Twenty one. So. Okay. An optical zoom factor is the ratio of the maximum and the minimum focal length of a lens. Got it. But it, but the, the, the zoom, in, in this case, your 21X, doesn't tell you just with the 21X where it's starting or where it's finishing. Correct. Got it's it. It's just the ratio. It's just the ratio. Ah, that's handy. Right. Awesome. So it could be 25 to 525, or it could be 50 to whatever 50 times 21 is right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. 50 to 10, optical, 50. So yeah. the optic, so an optical, so saying, uh, giving someone the optical zoom of lens tells them nothing about the focal length or whether it's a telephoto or Got th- it. you can make some assumptions because there's only sure. certain, and you've seen some of these crazy, you know, crazy huge lenses that, yeah. that have, you know, these ridiculous ranges because then you need all sorts of glass and stuff like that. But, um, 
But yeah, no, I'm glad he brought that up here because uh, both you and I, uh, I was a bit fuzzy because it was an unexpected question, but um, makes sense. No, it's good. It's it's good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Scott, for triggering the conversation. And thanks, John, for for encapsulating it. That's awesome. Awesome. Cool. Let's go. I learned something. See, that's the that's the goal. That's how we roll here. That's how it works. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to send in a question, a tip, a correction, anything, send it to feedback at MacGeekab.com. Oh, I'm going to have to violently disagree with you, Dave, here, because if I had to do that, I would send it to feedback at MacGeekab.com. I will shake my fist in anger back at you and say, <laughs> no, 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 sir. It is feedback at MacGeekab.com. <laughs> So there's that. Um, though there's yet another address, Dave, if, if you're a premium member. And I think something's happening in the premium space almost almost like within days or seconds, right? Yeah, six days from now, I'm told, six days from now, that being uh, August 27th, I'm told that things will be in the warehouse ready to ship uh, the first round of premium gifts. And by golly, the second round is not going to take uh, this long to uh, to get up. But the first round is, uh, it's it's finally happening. And thank you again for all your patience. Yes, that's premium at MacGeekab.com if you're a premium member so that's one way another way dave well let's see here um i like the uh well the twitters is certainly a way to get in touch with us um there's my twitter which is john Braun. there's yours which is dave hamilton there's of course our our uh, pilot friend pilot pete uh, if you would like to address the uh, podcast, that is MacGeekab. And if you want to see what's happening at Mac Observer, that's Mac Observer, all at Twitter.com. But there's more, Dave. There is more. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MacGeekab. We post the time for the the live stream, but we also post show when show notes are up, when shows are up, uh, and we even have some conversations over there answering questions for folks. So, yeah, please go over to uh, Facebook.com slash MacGeekab and like us. Please. Yeah, and from what I hear, even though I'm not a big participant here, but uh, I guess there's G+. Or Google Plus for Mac Geek App. Yeah, right? there Which is. I guess is. Yeah. And uh, and AppNet, if you're into that sort of thing. Though I, I got to admit, I'm really not into either one of those too much. So There you go. That's yeah. It's okay that you're not into them. Several of our, many, more than several, many of our listeners are. So it's we, we, we are. We are. Well, to me, the deal breaker with that. To me, the deal breaker with AppNet is that once you want to follow more than 40 people, you got to throw them money. And I... I that, and that Maybe that's that. part of the benefit. Well, I suppose it filters out the riffraff. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's good. But right now, I follow, I think I, I follow the last I looked, Dave, about, uh, which sounds insane, but I think I follow about 700 Twitter accounts. Yeah, I got to prune mine down. I'm, I'm over 1,000. <laughs> but uh, Really? Yeah. 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 Wow. What else? Oh, you know, we haven't mentioned this. You know, if you go to iTunes... And you check out some of the podcasts, you can comment on them, and you can rate them. And we would certainly like to you to do that. Wow, yeah, that's a good place. Yep. Yes. All right. Uh, what else do we have here? Is that that? Okay. Uh, let's do this the right way. We uh, want to thank Michael Johnston 
from the We Have Communicators podcast and, of course, getapplure.com. He publishes or he creates the AAC file for you. It adds all the chapters and the pictures and the links and all that good stuff. So thank you, Michael, for doing that. But go check out his podcast, too. We Have Communicators is a killer show. So uh, it's fun. It's him and usually Adam Christensen and Jeff Gamut and sometimes other special guests. So it's good stuff talking about iOS and all that good stuff. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes not only BB Edit, but Yojimbo from Barebones Software. Of course, WarbyParker.com with the MGG ship code to get free expedited shipping. Text Expander, PDF pen, disc label from Smile. Gazelle.com, they're the ones you want to check out. And of course, Squarespace for all your hosting. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, uh, I started the show, so why don't you share some advice with, uh, with the folks right, right before we, we wrap up here. Well, I'm going to share some advice, which uh, it sounds like Dave uh, definitely took under uh, consideration because he's back and he did not get caught. Yeah. Made up. 